Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker, the devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees, devil is on his way. Fall to your knees, devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees, devil is on his way. Motherfucker, he's on his way. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. Back from a mini break. Yeah, we're back from the beyond. We've been cranking out content consistently for over a year. It was time to take a couple of weeks off. Yeah, we need a little time off. Heather did especially. I get a little burnout sometimes. I feel like my life is nothing but true crime. Yeah, it's a lot sometimes. And I love that, but just with everything that's been going on in the world, I needed a little break. Had to decompress a little bit. Yeah, but it's been a good couple of weeks. Been able to get out and enjoy the sunshine. Took a little road trip. Yeah, I had to get out of the house, right? Went to Michigan. Yeah, I wasn't able to go on that little road trip with you. Had to work, but... um, It was nice. I got a scenic drive through, of course, Tennessee... Kentucky, Ohio, and then into Michigan. Yeah. So got to see some pretty parts of the country. Did you see some of the Great Lakes? I didn't actually see the Great Lakes while I was there. Oh, my God. I stayed in Ann Arbor and just didn't take the time to drive up to Lake Erie. Yeah, you were picking your daughter up. It was kind of a turn and burn, right? Yeah, but my daughter got to spend some time at Lake Erie. Well, she's a lucky double. I want to see the Great Lakes. Yeah, she's got some family that lives there, so she was able to go spend a few days at the lake and enjoy herself. So you got out of the house. You got to feel a little refreshed. Not think about murder (laughs) for just a minute. Well, of course, I'm always thinking about murder, so. I bet you listen to true crime podcasts all the way up through there. How do you know? Oh, my God. It's true. Our kids were, like, ready to not be in the car with me anymore. Oh, I'm sure. Maybe you put your headphones in, saved them a little bit. Of the the whole way back, they had headphones in. Yeah, well, they won't need to hear all those gritty details. Why they love it, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so here we are. We're back. And uh, you have a, a story from the vault that we've sat on for a little while. 
it's true. At some point, I believe we recorded this episode. And then when I got a new computer, the episode was lost or deleted. So we've had this episode in the can for like almost a year. Yeah, this is We're way... We're just going to re-record the story. Way back when. <laughs> way back when, exactly. <laughs> but I think it's a good one, and hopefully our listeners will enjoy it. Oh, yes. And uh, this new episode, new regular episode, is brought to you by our new patron, Claire. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Claire. Uh, welcome aboard. We've and actually had a couple of new patrons in the last few weeks. We should give a shout out to Cheryl and Crystal, Claire. And Rhiannon. Yes. Rhiannon. Rhiannon. Yes, Miss Ford. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> oh my God, I said her whole name. Thank you guys for taking the time to sign up at patreon.com. Support the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. And of course, while we've been on a break, we've been pumping out Patreon-only content. Yes, we've been continuing. We never missed a beat there on Patreon because we love our patrons. Yeah, if you want to sign up, lowest levels, like a dollar. But if you want to access all the extra content, three bucks a month. Yeah, and there's uh, quite a bit of content over there. And there's some funny stuff, some goofy stuff, and us just being weird. Yeah, we talk about true crime, but... We also discuss a lot of other things. Yeah, Heather makes fun of me quite often. Well, it's easy to do. Yeah, well, I, I'm not. I don't appreciate that. I'm just going to say that out here in public. You need to stop. <laughs> oh, she's giving me that look. So if looks could kill. Anyway, here. So, what are we going to talk about today? Well, our case today takes place in Galax, Virginia. Oh, I've never been there. Well, if you're not familiar with Galax, it's in the southwestern part of Virginia. And it's a very small town. I mean, the population is only a little more than 7,000. Yeah, that's pretty small. Galax is kind of known as the center of traditional old-time music. Oh, really? Galax is pretty close to Mount Airy, North Carolina. And some people call it the gateway to the Blue Ridge Mountains. Ooh. The area is known for traditional instrument making. There's a certain style of Appalachian dulcimer that's made in Galax. And they also host the Old Time Fiddlers Convention. That's been hosted in town since 1935, and it's a really popular event for bluegrass fans. Oh, yeah. I bet you hear a lot of good picking and grinning down that way. On March 10th, 2016, a suspicious call came into the police department requesting a welfare check at a house on Laurel Street in Galax. Now, usually a welfare check is not out of the ordinary. Sometimes families or friends may call police for assistance in locating a missing relative or a person who's just been out of contact for a couple of days. Yeah, I think that's something that happens quite often with police departments. Just go do a drive-by or, you know, knock on the door, make contact, make sure they're okay or make sure they're, you know, not in any kind of trouble. Yeah, actually, not that long ago, we had some officers show up at our house asking about a neighbor yeah and we had no idea who the person was we had no idea at all but that's and they the... called and they were just like hey you know we have a family member who we think lives at this residence so cops came out they're like we have to do a welfare check but no one in the neighborhood knew this person yeah i don't know how that turned out but that's exactly what they were doing one of those welfare checks so it's not always uh, you know out of the ordinary for cops to to do the welfare checks but this call was strange. The mail caller said he'd noticed the indoor cat belonging to the Laurel Street home was outside 
and the owner's front door was ajar. He claimed he had knocked on the door to alert the woman who lived there that her cat was outside, but no one answered when he knocked. He also mentioned she lived alone at the house with her young child. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd find that strange, I guess, but I, I don't know if I get all up in their business like that. Would you? No. <laughs> well, this is around noon. Pretty quickly after, some moments later, an officer arrives at the house. He knocks on the door, discovers it has been left open, and when no one answers, the officer pushes the door, you know, into the house. No one is inside the home that he can see. He calls out, you know, stating he's with the police department. Is anybody home? Doesn't get an answer. And as he walks through the house, he notices something in the bedroom. Upon investigation, he finds a woman lying in bed with a blanket partially covering her. So, yeah, I could imagine this cop. He's just, you know, trying to see if anyone's home, if, you know, make contact with someone. And he stumbles upon a woman in the bed, half covered. So he must be, uh, that freaked me out a little bit if I was a cop. Well, the officer could tell that the woman wasn't breathing and appeared to be deceased. So he phones for backup and quickly more investigators arrive on the scene. And as this crime scene is unfolding in the midst of this initial chaos, a man named Mike Alley stops by and demands to know what's going on. I mean, at this point, you've got officers swarming the outside of this house they're putting up police tape yeah the ambulance there's the blue lights and mr alley is clearly upset and he explains to officers that his granddaughter and her mother live in the house mike alley is the father of austin alley a young man who is engaged to the home's resident Alyssa. okay his granddaughter is 21 month old anastasia alley and she stayed with her mom at this Laurel Street house. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, I forgot to say earlier, uh, we will say this is um, a crime that involves a child. And it, it gets pretty pretty rough. So I know the, these types of uh, cases do bother me with children involved. So be forewarned. Soon the body in the bedroom is identified as 28-year-old Alyssa Ann Kenny. However, investigators cannot seem to locate 21-month-old Anastasia. Upon the first steps of the search, it appeared as though the little girl was missing from the residence. Yeah, that's less than two years old, so, I mean, she can't be far, you know. It's not like she's off somewhere or run off by herself. And it seems that Mike Alley lives in this neighborhood fairly close to where his granddaughter resides. So he just sort of happened to be popping by you know, and sees this chaos. Well, yeah, who wouldn't be disturbed? Pulls over and is like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, all these cops and, you know, taped off and all this shit at one of your family members' um, house? Who wouldn't? I'd be all to hell. But soon enough, investigators are inside the bedroom accessing the scene and processing it when they discover a blue blanket wrapped up at the legs of Alyssa Kenny. And inside the blanket is 21-month-old Anastasia. Oh, my God. The child is obviously, you know, not alive. Galax police realize they're dealing with a double homicide. Yeah, it's the worst, And it was pretty evident that this was a violent homicide. That this was not accidental. I mean, from the get-go, they knew it was murder. Yeah, so, I mean, it doesn't take them long to figure out that there's 
this woman and this small child have been murdered. Around 1 p.m., so just within an hour of discovering the two bodies, Alyssa's mother arrives at the Laurel Street address to pick up her daughter and her granddaughter. The trio had plans for the afternoon, and she's bombarded with the news that her daughter and her precious grandbaby have been killed. I mean, can you imagine how devastating that has to be? No, I can't, because I would be out of my mind. I would totally lose it. I think I would have a break from reality. She's taken to the station for questioning along with Mike Alley. Now, a little background on Alyssa Kenny. Alyssa grew up in Norristown, Pennsylvania. She was the youngest of five children, and being the baby, Alyssa was treated accordingly. Her father described her as a princess, often spoiled and doted on by her parents and siblings, and everyone loved Alyssa. She was really kind of like the apple of the family's eye. She's the youngest. She's the baby. Yeah, that happens often, right? By all accounts, she had a friendly, bubbly personality and just loved everything. She was sweet, kind, very popular when she was in high school. She'd been a cheerleader, an honor student. I mean, she really seemed to have the world in the palm of her hands. She had this great family support system. She was pretty, charismatic. By the age of 24, Alyssa had suffered a bad breakup, and everyone says the breakup was devastating for Alyssa. Reeling from the heartache and hoping to find a change of pace, her family suggested that she go down to Galax, Virginia to stay with her uncle. Yeah, so she's a young woman, sounded like she had a great support network, big family, and um, every chance to make it. Her uncle was aging and suffered from some health problems, and they all thought that he'd be pretty happy to have the company. And it was also, you know, give Alyssa an opportunity to get out of her hometown. She had hoped that this change of scenery would snap her out of this funk that she was in and just get a fresh start. I mean, that's welcomed in these times. Yeah, she must have taken it pretty bad, her breakup, for her family to go to these lengths to get her, you know, kind of to snap out of it. While in Galax, the unexpected happened. Alyssa fell in love with literally the boy next door. Uh-oh. She met Austin Alley and was smitten. Her mother, in an interview, said that Alley was a great guy. He was cute and charming, much like Alyssa. And the pair hit it off and fell in love pretty quickly when they started dating. On June 6th of 2014, the couple became proud parents to a baby girl they called Anastasia. Oh, wow. So I guess it worked for her, right? Got a new change of scenery, met someone wonderful she really into, and now they have a small, have a baby. Growing up in a large family and being the youngest, Alyssa was always around small children. She was an aunt who absolutely adored spending time with her nieces and nephews. She loved kids and was over the moon to learn she was pregnant. Alyssa told family members she knew she was destined to be a mommy. It was something that she had always wanted, and everyone who knew Alyssa felt she would be an excellent mother. She was sweet, loving, nurturing. She was just so thrilled to have a baby. Oh, is that how you were when you found out you was pregnant? Hell to the naw. We had our kids by accident. (laughs) (laughs) You was unplanned. What's a planned pregnancy? When Anastasia was born, Alyssa was head over heels with her baby girl, Everyone who knew Alyssa described her as being a great mom, just as they had speculated she would be. She adored this baby girl, 
and her social media accounts documented milestones in the baby's life. Alyssa was constantly posting photos, videos. She was a proud mama who devoted her life to caring for this baby. Anastasia, I have to mention, was a beautiful little girl, too. Brown hair, curls, chubby cheeks, just adorable. Oh. Alyssa's Facebook bio even stated, I love my life. And by all accounts, life was good for Alyssa. She had a good relationship, friends in her new town, and now the love of this baby daughter. So as far as she's concerned, everything's going great. She's got everything she wants out of life. Yeah. So fast forward to March 10th. Police question Mike Alley about his son, Austin, and his whereabouts. If Austin is Alyssa's fiance and Anna's father, then he may know something, or at least investigators are hoping he might have some information that could help them. Mike Alley explains that his son, at the time, is incarcerated in county jail on a probation violation. Oh, so he's in jail, out of the picture, if you will. And even though he's in jail, officers still want to talk to him. I mean, they think perhaps he could have been involved in the deaths or knew someone who might have wanted Alyssa dead. I mean, detectives aren't sure, but, you know, the partner's always the first suspect. Well, even if he, even not from a suspect point of view, but he may have a clue. Exactly. To lead them in the right direction. So they were like, okay, we just need to talk to this guy. And police also bring in a neighbor, Richard Knopfinger, Knopfinger oh, Jr., wow. who had notified police initially. He was the guy who made the 911 call. Oh. Knopfinger retells the story about the cat, the door being ajar, and he says he was concerned knowing that Alyssa was a single woman living there with her toddler daughter at the home. And that the door was open and he just was concerned. But he seemed very willing to help. He even agreed to give some DNA samples, including fingernail scrapings and hair, to police. Okay, well, that's fairly cooperative. During the initial stages of the investigation, two more witnesses in the neighborhood come forward. Both neighbors stated separately that they had seen a man dressed in all black with a backpack who looked like he was sweating profusely beating on a door in the neighborhood and he just looked out of place well yeah i guess that guy might catch your eye behind the neighborhood there was a park area where there was like a river and a trail and it was a popular recreation spot so it wasn't unusual i guess to see people kind of in and out of that area oh so this is behind her house One of those witnesses was Abigail Harris, and Harris knew Alyssa and was considered, like, a good friend to Alyssa. And on the day of the murder, Abigail had gone to this park area to rent a picnic shelter for a birthday party. She had seen a man with a backpack hoofing it in the area that was kind of surrounding the neighborhood and park, and for whatever reason, his demeanor just struck her as odd. Well, yeah, I guess maybe he's kind of... Doesn't look, he looks out of place maybe, or he's like in a real big hurry. Yeah, I mean, she just said he didn't look like someone who like lived in that neighborhood. Or was just enjoying the walking trails or park. Yeah, he didn't look like someone who was just hanging out at the park, like having a, you know, afternoon walk. Like he just seemed weird. And when she learned that her friend Alyssa and Anastasia had been murdered, she contacted police and gave them the man's description. Those who knew Alyssa said she had no known enemies. I mean, she was pretty social. 
since moving to Galax, she had made a lot of friends. She hadn't experienced any type of like negative encounters with anyone that they could think of. They were pretty clueless as to who would want to kill this woman and her baby. It just didn't make any sense. Well, yeah, that's a brutal crime, especially the child as well. I mean, that's just way out of the ordinary. Mike Alley told police that Alyssa often had people at her house, which sometimes worried him. He thought she was too trusting, and he didn't like people in and out of the home while his granddaughter was there. He thought the traffic in and out, plus Alyssa's trusting nature, could be dangerous. And he expressed his concern to Alyssa, but she was just kind of dismissive and... Oh, you're just, you know, you're just being too worrisome. It's fine. That's my life. Let me live it. Well, you know, I mean, and I think a lot of times young people don't think of bigger picture scenarios. Well, yeah, I mean. We, and we often, when we're young, think we're invincible. Well, yeah, and I mean, you take that typical young person's attitude on top of being very trusting and open with people. That could be a recipe for disaster. And you think these people are your friends, and you're inviting them into your home, and you're hanging out, and they're around your child, and you just don't think anything's going to happen. No, no, it's probably the last thing in your last thought in your mind. And I think as you get older, and maybe I'm wrong, but that changes a little bit when you get some life experience and kind of learn the ways of the world. You're not as naive. You might be a little more cautious about who... You allow around your kids and who you're friends with. But I think when you're young, you just don't think of these things. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's not, you know, I'm not saying that like that's negatively toward Alyssa because I think we probably have all been like that. To but, a degree. But I think when you're young, you just don't see danger around every corner. Because I know there were plenty of times when my parents would try to give me advice, point out something that could be possibly dangerous or unsafe and you know i would just kind of roll my eyes and be like yeah okay whatever yeah okay right based on some of the interviews police felt like this wasn't a random murder they felt like Alyssa probably knew the killer and she was not the type to invite strangers into her home and it didn't seem anyone had a reason to kill her and nothing was out of place in the house there were no signs of forced entry nothing was missing it certainly wasn't a robbery well, yeah, even if someone gets you to open the door, just knocks on the door and you open it, and you don't know them, and they force their way into the open door, that struggle is going to start right there at the front door. Stuff's going to be knocked over. You know, I mean, people typically don't clean up after they kill someone in a situation like that. So I think that's a good indication that she either knew her attacker or her attacker snuck into the house and came upon her in like bed a surprise yeah. attack. Like a, a surprise her in the bedroom. Medical examiners determined that Alyssa had died from strangulation by ligature. The murder weapon was a vacuum cleaner cord. Okay, that's pretty that's a weapon of opportunity, I guess, right? Right. Which shows maybe that it wasn't like a premeditated murder. This person didn't show up with the weapon, well, it wasn't yeah. a knife, it wasn't a gun. Some people get their kicks like that, maybe. Anastasia had been raped and died from asphyxiation. Oh my God. Alyssa had scrapes on her elbows and knees, indicating that she had put up a pretty good fight, which seemed reasonable to everybody who knew her. I mean, people were like, there was no way that she was going to allow somebody to hurt her baby without fighting this person to the death. 
Well, I think any parent, even a parent who might not be the greatest parent in the world day to day, anyone's going to fight to the last minute for their child's safety. Later, people will talk about the open casket for both Alyssa and her daughter. Family members would say how difficult it was to see this toddler with obvious bruising on her neck. And I don't think I'd want an open casket funeral where there was a child involved, and especially if it was something this brutal. No, no, I definitely wouldn't want to see that. If it was my family, I would advise against it. If I could make the choice, I would definitely choose for a closed casket. That poor little one, after it had been brutalized like that, God, just the thought alone. Could you imagine she's fighting this person off, knowing her last line of defense between her little one? Oh, my God. That's so sad. It's really sad. I don't know what this family was thinking when they planned this funeral, but I've heard some people who had relatives that were murdered talk about having the open casket and making that decision because they wanted almost to, like, let people know what had happened, like the seriousness of it. Yeah, I mean... Or that, like, if the person who had done this showed up, that they could see, like, this is what you did to my family member? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's easy for us to, you know, you know, say what we would or wouldn't do, not being in that situation. But I just can't even imagine how, how you could go through that, having to do the services. I just don't think I could see it. I don't, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, want to. that to be, like, my last memory. No. I just, I'm, I'm, I don't do well with the funeral and the open casket thing. I don't know. It just always kind of wakes me out a little bit. Yeah, even though, even if they die of natural causes, people are still, you know, appear dead. I mean, even in the best circumstances. But I, mean, I just feel like especially where a kid is, like a, a little kid is involved, that's just really difficult. And so when I read some of these details about this funeral service, it just like really tugged at my heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing makes me so sad and makes me want to hurt the person that hurt that little kid. Alyssa's house had been freshly cleaned, and when the first cop arrived on the scene, and then later the others, they could still smell bleach and other chemical cleaners as if someone had just cleaned up the crime scene. Okay. This was another reason that police thought maybe the killer knew the victims, and that it wasn't just a stranger, because the person took time to spray bleach around the house so they had to know that they had some time to clean and there weren't going to be interruptions. Like a husband coming home, they knew she lived alone. Yeah. Well, yeah, they had to know or they're That being, she didn't work. You could even think they're being really ballsy and, and just doing it anyway, but most people in, would not stay in that situation unless they knew for a fact or very likely that no one else was going to bother them. Yeah, I mean, they just knew there were going to be no interruptions that they would have time to clean up. So that was something else that police noted when they were trying to put together a list of suspects. Here's where things start to get a little bit complicated with this investigation. So bear with me. We're going to go through some of the different suspects and how they may or may not be involved. Okay. When police interviewed Austin, and now remember, he's Alyssa's fiance. He the baby daddy. He the baby daddy. And, you know, he's incarcerated. So they find him at the county jail, and they interview him about the murders. And they ask if he had any enemies or if Alyssa had mentioned anybody unusual. 
cops had thought of some kind of like there could have been like a revenge theory that maybe Austin had enemies who might have targeted his family, meaning his daughter and fiance. But he told the police, you know, he didn't really know of anybody who would be after him or would want to hurt Alyssa. But he mentioned a guy that he knew from jail named Noah Dixon. Austin and Noah had been friends, and he said that Noah was fairly friendly with Alyssa. Noah also had a brother named Jesse. And these two brothers would stop by the house and hang out with Alyssa along with her girlfriend, Abigail Harris. Reportedly, Noah gave Alyssa the creeps. Oh, well, uh, yeah, that's not cool. He would kind of stare at her and sometimes behave in ways which made her feel uncomfortable. And there were occasions when he was asked to leave the house by Alyssa. She had told others she didn't really want him there hanging around. And I get this. I mean, I've dated men who had friends that I thought were weirdos or who kind of gave you the willies or gave me the willies. And I didn't really want to be around that person and I didn't want my kids to be around that person. Well, yeah, you don't have to be around that person. Yeah, so he was asked not to show up, but he would still drop by her house anyway. Well, see, that's really creepy. If you ask straight out, ask someone, don't come by here, I'd rather you didn't come by here and come by anyway. And I'm sure this probably made her feel even more uncomfortable. If you're asking him to leave, you're telling him, I don't really want you coming to my house. I don't feel like I know you that well. And he's still coming by. Yeah, that's that's not good. And again, you know, she seems really trusting and friendly. It was probably difficult, and I'm just speculating for someone like her who's so sweet to say, like, hey, I don't want you here. Well, that's true. Another theory emerged. It seemed that Alyssa's friend Abigail Harris had been in a strained relationship at some point with a guy named Glenn Lewis. And from what I understand, this Glenn Lewis guy was maybe not the best guy in the world and abusive and just had a lot of problems. And Alyssa had plotted, along with Abigail, to, uh, Abigail, sorry, to set up Lewis. And I don't really have the details of, like, what they did, but he got arrested. And again, I'm not sure what the crime was or how they set him up, turned him in, whatever. But he'd gone to jail and had been released, so it was theorized that maybe he was retaliating Oh, okay. Against Alyssa for helping Abigail. So they're just going to get him out of the picture, get him down the road. He knew of Alyssa's involvement and in having him arrested, and some people thought that perhaps he had gotten to Alyssa. Well, that's a pretty good theory. Cops also turned their attention to Noah and Jesse Dixon. Abigail had dated Noah at some point, and Abigail told officers that Noah was aggressively trying to pursue Alyssa. Now, at one point, Alyssa had called Jesse to come get his brother from her house. Again, he was creeping her out, pursuing her. And what the hell, dude? You know, she just wasn't interested in him. Damn, she's how... got a boyfriend, a fiance that she's happy with. Awful lot of dudes sniffing around her damn house, for real. Noah was kind of a drifter type who would disappear for days at a time, and investigators knew that tracking him down was going to take some time. He had a history of violence, criminal record, and was known to law enforcement. It didn't seem so far-fetched that perhaps he could have been involved in this crime. Yeah, there's some pretty 
sketchy characters around. When officers show up at Jesse's apartment to ask some questions and try to find his brother, they see some bleach sitting out. Well, I mean, I'd say 90% of the houses have bleach. Well, Jesse explained that they had bed bugs and were trying to get rid of these bed bugs. And like you said, a lot of people have bleach in their home, so it really wasn't like enough evidence. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But cops really want to speak with Noah, but he just seems to have vanished. They can't find him to question Noah. So he kind of becomes at one point like their number one suspect because they think, oh, okay, this has happened and now he's hit the road. We can't find him. Yeah, he's a brother creep, doesn't know where he is. Creepy drifter dude who's been after her, right? Right. Yeah. Well, after a two month investigation, police get a tip from Abigail Harris. Now, remember, she's the one who spotted the weird guy in the neighborhood, and she's the one that dated Noah. And she's the friend that Alyssa helped yes. set the dude up to get him out of the picture. Well, Abigail said that Jesse Dixon told her that Noah was the wrong guy and that the guy cops should be talking to is named Ricky. Okay, another dude. Abigail tells them she believes Ricky is Richard Knopfsinger Jr., the neighbor who had first reported the situation to law enforcement. Well, shit. You know, um, that's another person they typically take a look at. Unless there's an obvious suspect, you know, very quickly, the person who reports it to, you know, 911. Well, Jesse told Abigail that Ricky had been selling pills. Okay. Had specifically been selling pills to Jesse. Abigail thought that maybe Ricky might have been the guy she saw down by the river on the day of the murders. Oh, the disheveled guy, guy wearing sweaty. all black backpack, and he fit the description of. The fella, other neighbors described having been at this house knocking on this door. Okay. Richard Knopfsinger, I can't, I can never say his name. Knopfsinger, Knopfsinger. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Knopfsinger, I'll get it out right, right, guys. Just call him Dick. If you remember, he consented to the DNA test from the beginning, and he was the guy who would call police asking for the welfare check. But things just didn't really add up. The address that he had given police in the initial report was invalid. He was a 36-year-old drifter type who moved around quite a bit and was often seen hanging around like various apartment complexes 
just sort of staying where he could. So it's one of those guys just kind of always around, but never has his own place. He's one of those guys that that they call a hobosexual that's like homeless and like lives with whatever woman will let him stay with her kind of thing. Uh, Hobosexual? Yeah. Okay. Now, I couldn't find a ton about Nosfinger's early life, but I do know that he was born August 7th, 1979, and seemingly moved around the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia quite a bit, having at one point lived in Radford, Virginia before Galax. But it's all kind of, it seems like it's all within the same few county area. Oh, but frequently moved? Yeah, just kind of bounced around. Again, was kind of this drifter type, allegedly, you know, selling drugs. Yeah, just whatever odd jobs, keep a little bit of money in his pocket. Yeah. Not your regular nine to five, got a house, got a car kind of guy, right? Right. Well, by May 17th, 2016, so this is about two months after the murders, police get a call from the forensics lab who had tested all the crime scene evidence, including the DNA. And Richard Knopfsinger's DNA tested as a positive match to the DNA found on Anastasia's body at the Laurel Street crime scene. What the hell? Does the dude know how DNA works when he gives him a sample? Cops track him down, arrest him. But what police discover is shocking. Oh my God, this fucking guy. Yeah, I'm just going to say brace yourselves, folks. While searching Knopfsinger and his personal items, they find his cell phone. And once they get into the cell phone, police discover eight sexually explicit videos involving small girls, mostly toddlers, but also including an infant. And three videos are of him sexually abusing the children. My God. In total, police are able to find four victims and identify them from his cell phone. They confiscated memory cards, DVDs, and a laptop with 356 images and more than a dozen videos on his computer. Now, most of the videos and images were downloaded from the internet, but some of those videos, like the cell phone, were manufactured by Knopfsinger. And, of course, we're talking about child pornography. Oh, my God. He, he hits all the hallmarks of a full-blown pedophile. Definitely. Investigators recover a T-shirt and some sunglasses from his property um, that were shown in the videos. Yeah. So they know oh, we've got these videos and we've got a shirt and sunglasses that he's wearing in the videos. Okay. So uh. there's no way to say this is manufactured or whatever. Yeah. One video showed, and I'm not going to go into too much detail, but this is from court records, a toddler girl in a bathtub, and the court documents describe it as beyond an adult washing a child. Oh, my God. God, this makes me want to get my hands on this dude, man. I'm not kidding. Well, Nosfinger had been a serial predator, repeatedly targeting vulnerable single moms with young children. He would gain the trust of these women so he could access their young kids. These women often left Nofsinger with their babies and toddlers, and he was kind of known to frequently babysit for single women and girlfriends, his girlfriends. Oh, my God. So he just gains their trust. They're single moms, working hard as they can, might have limited resources or help with the children. 
And he's always the nice guy right there. Oh, I'll do this. Or, yeah, sure, I can help you out. Just to get access to the damn children. Yeah. What a piece of shit. Police were able to piece together that Richard Knopfsinger didn't know Alyssa. He only kind of knew her peripherally. Again, he knew these Dixon guys. Her friend dated the one guy. They hung out at Alyssa's. So he just kind of knew of Alyssa, but didn't really, like, know her. Okay. Right? And he had met her through a mutual friend, but he was considered a stranger to most of Alyssa's close friends. Like, this was not someone that Alyssa knew well. She may have met him, like, once and might have seen him just in passing, but she didn't really know him. But Nosfinger did stay near Alyssa's neighborhood, so it's possible that he kind of spotted her just around the neighborhood as well. And investigators were able to kind of piece together that he was just this pedophile, and he had seen Anastasia and set his sights on her. Oh, my God. On the morning of March 10th, Nosfinger broke into the home with the intention of molesting Anastasia. Alyssa heard the commotion, woke up to find him in her house. Nofsinger didn't expect that Alyssa was going to fight back so hard when it came to protecting her daughter. I mean, it sounds like he thought he could sneak in the house, do this, and then get out before she woke up. Oh, like maybe he thought he could get to the child and do whatever sick stuff he's going to do and then sneak out? Possibly. God. Or maybe he had an intention of trying to kidnap the little girl. I'm not sure. But... She wakes up, she hears what's happening, she starts fighting him, and during the attack, he became really enraged and murdered Alyssa before turning to Anastasia. Now, pedophiles are known to go through these uh, very risky and absurd kind of plots sometimes to get access to a child. You know, like if they explain to you, like, this is what I'm going to do, you'd be like, what the hell? Dude, that's never going to, well, for one, you're sick, but too that's never gonna work but yeah i think they get these urges and it just gets up to that where they can that's all they can think about and they will really take really bold risks to get access to children sometimes right well it seems like this guy didn't really have much self-control right right so he is just die like he's got to do this in oh his in God. his sick brain right And so he concocts this insane plan that he's going to, like, break in these people's house and do whatever and get away with it. Yeah, I wish they'd had a big-ass bulldog or something to eat his ass up. Nosfinger was sentenced to 60 years in federal prison relating to the child pornography charges, and he ended up taking a plea deal on the double homicide, which spared Alyssa's family a trial Because you know it was going to include all the horrific details about what had happened to Alyssa and Anastasia. He was given multiple life sentences in relation to their murders. He is serving his sentences at Sussex State Prison in Virginia. It's not enough. It's not. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, it's it's the family's choice on any pleas and things like that. I get it. You shouldn't even have, that shouldn't even be, I'm telling you, this should be a special category outside of our normal system. If it's proven beyond with DNA and all that stuff, not just eyewitnesses or anything like that, they should kill you. They should cut you into pieces in the most 
painful manner. You should not exist on this earth. I agree. Oh, my God. Well, the foundation has been set up by the Kenny family. It's called the Allie and Anna Foundation or AllieandAnna.org in memory of the mother and daughter. And they raise money to provide deadbolt locks to be installed on the doors of single moms and women living alone. They have a scholarship fund, and they also offer financial assistance um, with self-defense classes for women. Wow. Wow, that's that's they're actually a tangible effort to actually protect other single women. That, that's pretty amazing. Right. So if you're interested, you can go to the AllieandAnna.org website, and they have several ways where you can donate money um, to their cause, which is, I mean, I think those are all really great things that they're doing. Yeah, I think I, think I may need to visit that because they're actually trying to do something to prevent something like this in the future. Alyssa and Anastasia are buried in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, near where Alyssa's parents and siblings reside. Dylan, you had kind of done a little bit of research for us as far as, like, pedophiles and sexual predators. Yeah. yeah. Because you it doesn't seem like it's always, I'm not going to say normal, but it's not always frequent that pedophiles murder. No, I think what a lot of people don't realize is some people have this attraction, to, or many have this attraction to children, but they never act on it. So they struggle with that. They seek therapy. They try to find ways to, you know, not harm children. So there are people who are technically pedophiles, if you will, having this strong attraction to children, but who never harm a child. That's good. I'm glad that happened. You know, they are, you know less children being harmed in that manner. But yeah, you uh you actually led me to this very interesting um huge handbook by the it's called the Child Molesters a Behavioral Analysis from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. This was actually issued in 1992. It's kind of old, but I tell you what, I'm going to spend some time digging through this because it's interesting just kind of because I always wonder why, you know, why do you do this or why can't you stop yourself? So, you know, uh, originally pedophilia was an attraction to a prepubescent child. Right. A child who hasn't hit puberty. And there was another term, hebophilia, an attraction to a child post-puberty. But long since, they've basically quit making that distinction as far as psychiatrists and law enforcement go. I don't even know why there ever was a distinct, you know, two different kinds there because it's all bad in my book. And some ped pedophiles will have sex with adults just to gain their trust and access to their children, which is exactly what this story was about. Though she, you know, that guy wasn't with Alyssa, but he... Had obviously done that. He'd in the done past. that in the past. He'd you know. like groomed. Yes, he was known almost for like doing grooming that. these women. Yes, through dating them, pursuing them. Yeah, totally. These vulnerable women. Oh, I'll babysit for you. I'm a great guy. Which is sick on a whole other level. Yeah, exactly. That I mean, just manipulation, betrayal. Yeah, and so here I found some uh, just right quick. I could. There's no way we we could spend two or three episodes talking about this report. It's insane. So long and detailed. But here's some traits of a pedophile. This is what people can keep their eyes out for. Possibly sexually abused as a child himself. 
Now, this is obviously not to say someone sexually abused are going to be a pedophile, but typically people who are pedophiles were abused as a child. Limited contact with other teenagers when they are a teen themselves because the attraction to children can be felt at a very young age. So when they're teenagers, instead of doing normal teenager things, thinking about the girl next door or whatever, they're already thinking about children, attracted to children, so they kind of withdraw from their peers, if you will. Premature separation from the military. And though that there's no exact reason, this is usually just uh, the way it was described is they just don't fit in with the other guys and girls, if you will, the other people in the military. So there's that. Frequent and unexpected moves. You said that guy was a drifter. He kind of bounced around. Because, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times molestation goes unreported. And people just tell someone, hey, get the hell out of here. I'm going to kill you. Something to that effect. And so the people will move. Repeated or high risk. Here we go. Repeated or high risk attempts to get control of children. So these crazy plans, these uh, ludicrous ideas about how they're going to actually just all they want to do is get their hands on a kid. Lives alone or with parents, which that's always kind of creepy for various reasons. Excessive interest with children. Now, you know, you ever seen an adult? I've run across this one time in my life. There was one time I was at a birthday party with kids, and there was this dude. He was a young guy, 20, 22, out there playing with the kids. And it's okay to go out there, you know, carry on with some kids. But if one of them kids ain't yours especially... And you're out there just rolling around and wrestling and, and and doing all this stuff. And you're of sound mind and you're not developmentally... Childlike yourself, Childlike perhaps, yourself or, or yeah. have any kind of mental issues of that nature, which is fine. You know, that's fine. But if you're seemingly normal and, you know, just a normal adult... or a, Cognitively, yes, you know... But you're still wanting to the, frolic yeah. with the kids and run around and... You know, all this stuff, that's a fucking red flag in my in my head. And I told that day, I was like, uh, something's up with this dude, some friend from a neighbor down the road. I was like, he needs to get the hell on somewhere before I hit him in his damn head. You know what I'm saying? All the red flags going off with that. That's just weird. So you got the excessive interest in children, being around children, all that. And lastly here may even marry a dominant woman or a meek woman, but will likely have sexual issues as far as performance issues and and won't have a normal sexual relationship with that woman. But they may be in a relationship where that's okay. With the one, Like if she doesn't expect a whole lot from sex life. Well, like maybe she's kind of asexual herself. Yeah, maybe. Like ace, ha- yeah. yeah. They just have like a weird... Right. Or, well, we say weird, it might be normal for them. Yeah, we shouldn't say weird, I guess, but they just have this relationship where it's okay with her that she doesn't have a normal relationship. So, yeah, there's some traits of a pedophile I pulled out of that report. Well, I read an interesting article. Um, It's called Facing Disturbing Truths About Pedophilia That Could Help Us Keep Our Kids Safer. And it originally appeared on Substance, which is a website. But it's pretty interesting. This guy who was writing the article is a sex addict. And so he had to go to rehab for sex addiction. And he talks about his experience as 
a sex addict going to this rehab program and that he was in this program with, you know, sexual predators, pedophiles, that most of them just absolutely do not want to admit that they're pedophiles, even when they're in treatment. They don't want to talk to psychiatrists about it. They will go to great lengths to try to act like they, you know, this is not who they are. The testing is wrong. The staff is wrong. They really, really don't want to do this. I mean, he was just like saying how it was pretty amazing just the links these people would go to to deny their interest. There has been some studies that, of course, pedophilia is something that people are born with, much like sex addiction, that the traditional treatment is called relapse prevention, which is kind of based on helping people identify this is, you know, you've got the surge, this is what you have, and trying to develop coping skills for when they are in, like, high-risk situations. Yeah, well, it sounds like if they typically, from this guy's limited experience, don't want to admit they have a problem, seems like that would be hard to follow that type of therapy. Well, it's true, and there's a Dr. James Cantor who's a professor at the University of Toronto Medical School, and he's like a leading expert on pedophilia, and he says that one cannot choose to be a pedophile, but one can choose not to be a child molester. And he also said that pedophiles are most likely to abuse when they are most desperate and feel they have nothing to lose. Well, that makes sense. And another thing that I didn't understand is that there's like, um, I guess, mandatory reporting laws that anybody who even goes for therapy or counseling who is suspected of or at risk of being a child molester. So it seems like if you have those tendencies and you go to therapy and you're talking about like, this is a problem I have by law, like. Their mental health professionals are supposed to report it. Uh, well, I mean, so... This guy, like, this article, he's basically saying, like, we're not approaching this in the right way. Like, how we're dealing with these things. Well, I mean, I, I could see... But it's just such a tricky situation. I could see both sides of that being argued very easily. On the one side, one hand, you got a, well, you know, they need to report it to law enforcement because there's a ch child possibly being harmed right now and they can stop it. Now, on the other hand, that could stop people from coming and seeking help in the first place if they're having urges before, you know, maybe they're getting help before they act on it. Because there is way more people out there than we realize that do have this strong attraction to children who simply don't act on it because of their own moral code or, you know, societal pressures, obviously. Hey, you can't do that. Yeah, so I could see that, you know, being argued, well, if, if they instantly report it, then, you know, that's going to keep people from seeking help. So that that's really tricky. That's really yeah, tricky. I mean, this writer says that, in his opinion, which, of course, this is just an opinion piece. I'm not saying I agree with this at all, but that these mandatory reporting laws and just the way, I guess, that it's handled with the the types of therapy that they're trying to do this relapse therapy and stuff that it almost like creates conditions for people to feel desperate, more likely to act out on their urges. Well, okay. What can you do? So there's actually a, you have a preferential pedophile who they like children, period. Always have, always will. And then you actually, I didn't realize this. You have what they call a, Situational pedophile 
And these are people who typically have had failures with peer or same age relationships. Like failure, like a, well, let's be honest, pedophiles tend to be men. So I'm just going to say a man. Man, you know, he keeps failing with women or can't ever get anywhere. There's been a long relationship and then it just goes all to hell and finds himself in the company of a child. And for whatever reason, acts on this or impulse. Or is like one of those guys on To Catch a Predator where he finds himself online with like a 13-year-old girl and it's like easy to impress her. Yeah. But he can't impress a 40-year-old woman, but yeah. he can impress like a 13-year-old. Yeah, and that doesn't make it okay. No, but I mean, a- but, I'm, but I'm just kind of feeling like, okay, I feel like I've seen that yeah. play out so a little there, bit. The, and then you, or, then you have the, or the preferential um, pedophile, which is all, you know, just strictly, you know, sexually aroused by children, period. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know why. But I don't think you should be either kind. Don't do anything to kids or young adults. I mean, you know, sometimes people think in their head it's just, you know, kids, little kids, 10 and under. But, hey, if you're 25 years old and you're trying to date or mess with a damn 13 or 14-year-old kid, something's fucking wrong with you too, okay? That's not cool. Yeah, and, you know, there has been some studies that some child molesters do it because they have, like, other serious mental issues, personality disorders. But what this article is stating that I also thought was kind of interesting is because it's so true that if we mention something empathetic about mental disorders and people with, you know, that are pedophiles that have these mentalist sort of disorders that people think you're like excusing the child abuse right which you're not but you're just pointing out that it exists as well but with this like this type of sexual deviance that there's so much social animosity right that people are ready to be like got the pitchfork and the torch and we're going to this person's house and we're gonna freddy krueger them we're gonna burn them up we're gonna Hang them from a tree. Well, and I understand that feeling. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that we all do. So it's just a really tricky situation. To, I mean, just to even talk about. But this guy, Knopfsinger, I mean, he seems to be on a different level. Yeah, I think he's definitely a preferential molester or um, pedophile. And uh, as far as um, having killed, you know, you, you wanted me to look up and see how often do... I think well, there's a whole nother level, a child predator or a child murderer who's also a pedophile. You know, it's when they get the kid, do whatever sick, twisted thing yeah, they do, just, and the child's dead within eight, you know, eight to nine hours. I was just kind of interested with this story, kidnapped. how frequently you get the pedophile who murders. I mean, it's not like that's uh, kind of goes hand in hand or anything. I think, I think it's, and I didn't find the information you asked me to look up, but I think it's very a lot less frequent that they actually murder. They just, you know, they're getting, they're they're counting on their victim to be quiet. You know, if they're a child, you know, they tell them something crazy like a they'll take your whole family jail or I'll kill them, you know, whatever you do to shame the child or scare them into silence. Or this sick bastard was getting at damn toddlers and little babies. Who who can't yeah who could, can't could, even they don't even know what the fuck's going on exactly God is so sick he is sick and I mean again I'm maybe part of the problem and not the solution but I'm just hoping there's some prison justice in there somewhere uh well yeah there wasn't long ago 
I heard that story. Oh, um, in California, where the guy killed like the two pedophiles. Yeah, he, he beat him, beat the beat him to death, right, or something. Yeah, I mean, part of me, big part of me, feels like, well, he probably should get some years shaved off his sentence. Because... Well, and I want to say, <laughs> um, I'm pretty certain that it came out later that the daughter of one of the men who was killed was on that guy's side, the guy who killed her father, because she knew her father was just a, a, a monster, a monster who was never going to stop. So, hey, maybe you should, like you said, get a few years off his sentence. That should be an incentive to kill child molesters. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be advocating that. But Yeah, maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> I'm actually surprised there aren't more Dexter, like, types of murderers out there. Yeah, I know. Because we've talked over and over how you can go, you know, get caught up in some drug scheme or something and catch, you know, a lot of time on the first damn time you go to court. Or jail over it, but these ch- these child predators can. It seems like they can hurt children over and over again, and all that child pornography that guy had, that should have been a life sentence right there. But you know he's going to get sixty years, and you know all that can be pled down and get out. I mean, I just don't understand why why harming children or exploiting children doesn't come with a bigger penalty. Dude, there's a guy here in our hometown. That was married to a girl I went to high school with. Married, has kids. They're married for some years. And then he was caught with a, um, like a memory card. Yeah. Apparently it dropped out of his pocket at like Walmart. Who the fuck walks around with a memory card? Yeah. And someone turned it in or whatever. And he had all this child pornography. And so then when they searched his house, they found like a cell phone that was a separate cell phone that he used. To access this shit. Oh my god! And he's busted and arrested and given some prison time. Served just like a few years. See what the hell for having like all this child pornography. But if it wasn't for his sick ass wanting to look at it, people wouldn't be out there making it. And who's actually getting these kids and doing this shit to them? It's fucked up. (sighs) I was thinking about the serial killer Rodney Alcala. Oh my god! I mean, he was definitely someone who molested kids and murdered them yeah and that was kind of his thing and then there was that case and i can't remember the little girl's name but it was in florida and the neighbor had kidnapped her out the window i believe well no i i think he'd kidnapped her like as she was walking home but that he lived across the street and like had her in his home in this trailer park for like a couple of days before he got rid of her body but he had been a pedophile had been caught molesting several kids had served prison time and in a panic after he molested this little girl, I guess, you know, he couldn't control his impulse or whatever murdered her. So she wouldn't talk. Yeah. It's almost like it escalates in some of these cases, like a pedophile, he commits his crimes. He spends some time in jail a year or two, whatever, not enough time. And then they get out and they still have this impulse and they still do it. But then they go on to murder. They graduate almost. Well, I, I think it should come with a um, not a chemical castration, a physical castration. That should be one of the penalties. Okay, we might let you out after you serve your time. But you're not going to have a sex drive anymore. Okay? Sorry. Shouldn't have preyed on children. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what the solution is to this problem which i think is rampant i mean i think we don't get nearly the statistics and numbers of what's actually happening out there in the world 
Oh no, these statistics in this report from 1992 is you wouldn't believe that it's hundred a hundred plus thousand taken by non-family members, children. So I mean, if that tells you anything, not saying every one of those are child predators looking to molest and kill the child, but a fucking lot of them probably are. I mean, yeah. who, who takes a child forcibly from anywhere? Right. So I don't know what the answers are, but I think we definitely have some fucking problems. And this guy, Richard Knopfsinger or whatever, is a fucking pervert. And I'm glad that he's behind bars. But I hate that this happened. I bet her it's just fian- such a sad story. I bet her fiance beats himself up for being in jail on a probation violation. I bet. Well, think how there. powerless you would feel if you're locked up. To protect them. And probably over some bullshit, right? And then you can't be there to protect your fiance and your baby. Oh, my God. So, Mountain Murders is back. That was a very sad story. Sorry about that part of it. But, um... Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to this Mountain Murders episode. Of course, this has been the case of Alyssa Kenny and Anastasia Alley. Um, We appreciate your support. Thanks, guys.